It was early one morning and I had a meeting that was early in the morning. And I had yet to get my caffeine in me yet. So I went to Starbucks uh, to place an order. Went into the drive-through. Now, if you've done the morning Starbucks, you know that like it's a four-hour process. It's not a bada-bing, bada-boom. You pay some time when you go up to Starbucks. And so I got there, I placed my order, and about three hours later, I arrived up at the cashier's window, and I handed her my card, and um, uh, she's holding my card, and she goes, hey, you know what, actually, don't sweat it. Don't, this, this one is on the car ahead of you. And I'm like, of course it is, let's go. Apparently, what she goes on to tell me is that about a half hour prior to me arriving at the cashier's window, somebody had noticed that there was such a long line that was happening, and so they decided that they were going to pay for the car behind them, and every car behind them proceeded to do the same thing. And so in that moment, I was both deeply moved and also morally conflicted because you know where this is gonna go next. Now, because I'm a pastor and I've been sitting since seventh grade, I, I looked at the cashier and I said, hey, what's the damage on the car behind me? $38.42. You know I'm telling the truth if I remember the exact number. $38.42. I said, do you guys have payment plans? Is there a way that we can how do you want to handle this right now? And she thought I was serious. She goes, no, we don't have payment plans. <laughs> so I, um, I, I was wearing a sweatshirt like this and then I started like patting my, my breast pockets that were non-existent to show her that my heart was in the right place. I said, oh, you know what? Hey, I don't have any, I don't have any cash for that. Like that's a lot of lattes. I don't have that kind of cash. I, don't, I said, oh, but thanks for the free coffee. And as I'm about to drive away, she goes, sir, your card. And I'm telling you, it was like the whole world stopped. Everything went still. It was this long, slow moment where I'm grabbing this card away from this lady, looking deeply into her eyes while she's looking disgustingly into mine. And I still drove away. Not proud of that. Five years ago, like I said, five years, long time ago. Why would I, though, uh, start this message? Why would I pull that skeleton out of the closet in such a time like this? Well, in the week that we just had, in this moment where I think collectively, by and large, we watched as our greed on Friday exposed the gratitude that we expressed on Thursday, as we watched us move so quickly from this place of appreciation towards accumulation without thinking anything was weird about it, I want to ask the question, I want us to sit inside of the question tonight, when you think about the good gifts that you have in your life, as we have been doing the past few weeks, when you consider and count all the gifts that you have been given, do those gifts lead you to be a good giver? Or do you take your gifts and drive away? That's the question that we want to sit under tonight. That's the question that Paul asked the Corinthian church to sit under tonight. Anthony, if you could show the text from 2 Corinthians, that's where we're gonna be going tonight. Oh, this is, we're flying on all, thank you. <laughs> Little context here. Um, Paul is reaching out to the Corinthians as he does in many other spaces, asking the question that we are going into tonight. He is trying to raise some money 
for the sake of the poor Christians in Jerusalem, there are Christians who are living in the city of Jerusalem who do not know where their next meal is coming from. They don't know how their rent is going to be paid. Things have fallen on hard times in the holy city. And so Paul is reaching out to the church in Corinth and he's saying, we need you to help out. And the first move he makes is to point to a church who's already doing it. He says this, this is message version. Now friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. There were fierce troubles that came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure, the pressure of the poverty triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there, saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of the poor Christians. This all was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and it caught us completely off guard. I was listening to NPR the other day, and somebody was, I don't remember the content of the conversation, but they brought up Parker Palmer. And they gave this quote from Parker Palmer where he says something on the lines of, I find it so confusing how Christians, a group of people who are invested in the incarnation can often get so lost in disembodied concepts. Well, that's, that's a good quote right there. And it's a good point. Because I can share that confusion. I get what he's getting after there. I don't think neither he nor I would carry that confusion if we lived in Macedonia at this time. They understood how to get things done. They understood how the grace that comes into you must be a gift that comes out of you. Paul himself, he couldn't get enough of this church. He loved this church. In six separate letters, he mentions the Macedonian Christians 16 separate times. He loves how they are living their lives. He loves how they are loving those who they are with. Which is why it's super interesting that Paul almost skips speaking to them at all. I don't know if you paid attention to that in the text, but there is kind of an insight that is provided to us in this text of Corinthians. Because in the context of this letter, Paul is again trying to make some moves and he's trying to raise some money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And as he is preparing for his upcoming like fundraising trip, as he's about to make all these calls, he's got this scribe with him who's writing down all of the places that we need to talk to about pitching in so that we can all pull our weight and make this thing happen. When the scribe asks if Macedonia should be on the list, Paul says no. Leave them alone. They have enough going on right now. They have bills that they can't pay. They got stomachs that they can't fill. There are jobs that they can't get. They don't need us sending them an empty plate. They need plates full of food. That's where things are at right now in Macedonia. And so please do not call on plan anything for us to go and speak to the Macedonia about money that they don't have. But just as he's about to move from the poor in Macedonia to the privileged in Minneapolis, what he does is he hears this noise at the door, a banging at the door. He hears people screaming outside with Macedonian accents. 
saying, do not pass us by. Pleading with Paul for the privilege of helping out. Pleading with Paul for the relief of poor Christians and the part that they might have to play in such an effort. The poor, pleading to help out the poor. It's a beautiful image. Uh, I know I said this is a season of giving, but in my house as a, a father of two boys under five, it's also a season of pleading. I know a thing or two about pleading right now. Not pleading to give, but pleading to give. They're not Macedonians, they're capitalists. This is what they do at this time of the season. And um, in fact, I took my boys, you guys, true story. Last week we went to see the Grinch and I, I was feeling like I was rapidly approaching like a peak dad moment. Like I had made a good move. We got popcorn, we're watching this movie that has some great like moral fiber inside of it. There's a great message and I'm thinking, we're gonna unpack this thing and it's gonna be a life changing conversation on the way home. We get in the car, I ask the boys, I go, so guys, what'd you think? Like, what did you, what did you learn? And here I am sitting there expecting that they're gonna tell me something about like, well, I learned, I really gotta appreciate you, dad. Gotta appreciate the things we have. Wyatt turns to me and says, what did I learn? I said, Wyatt, what'd you learn? He says, how to steal all the presents from the people. <laughs> so that went, that went really well. They are though, they're in that pleading season. They're right now, they're big on, I don't know if you guys have kids that do this, but they take out like the Target catalogs and they circle everything in it. Like Wyatt circled a $500 TV in it the other day. He's gonna be the first five-year-old to wake up with his stocking stuffed to the brim with job applications because I am not paying for that. He's gonna have to start pulling his weight. Season of pleading though, that's where he's at right now. That's where both the boys are at. Now I remember this last year when they got into this mode where it's like the moment after Good Friday and they get into that, you know, they see their mom going shopping all day. <laughs> where is she? Are we okay? The moment after Thanksgiving, they make that transition. They start circling all of their catalogs and they'll start coming up to Lauren and I and they'll start asking like, dad, can we get this thing? Can we get this Lego? Can we get this train? Can we get that? Can we get this TV? And, and I always say like, we'll see. We'll see. Like the two most useless words that a parent could ever say to anybody ever, we'll see. We'll see, which basically is just like asking your kids to keep on asking until you wear me down and I hand you my credit card. That's essentially what is happening in those moments right there. We'll see. So what Wyatt would do then, because he he's not familiar with how we'll see works, is he would wake us up in the morning and he would ask like, did you see? Did you see about that Lego? Did you see about that train? Did you see about that thing that we've been talking? Did you, did you see? I'm not trying to project my life on anybody else's in this room, but I was thinking about as I read this text, how often, how many mornings I myself have rolled out of bed and turned towards God and asked if he has seen. Did, did you see about that need that I talked about the day before? Did you see about uh, our budget that's still falling short? Did you see about how we don't have a lot of money right now? Did you see about all these health concerns that we are carrying? Did you see about that thing that I asked you in seventh grade that is still yet to happen? Did you see about any of that? The Macedonians didn't ask that question. They didn't ask God, did you see yet? They asked God, let me see it all. God, where there is pain, let me see how I can bring peace. 
God, where there is poverty, let me play a part in being about the provision. Where there is ugliness, is there any spot that I could step in and offer up some beauty? And you understand when you think about how they turn to God in contrast to at least how I often turn to God, you get why Paul was so crazy about them. Because this isn't like, this isn't a shallow version of spirituality. This isn't kiddie pool Christianity. There is a maturation in the Macedonian people that makes them stunningly beautiful. They have moved past that first stage of spirituality where you are going after God, asking God, what can you do for me? And now they're at the highest stage of spirituality where they are living their lives with the question of how God can you move through me? And it changes everything. And so they come to Paul, fists on the door, and they're begging Paul, will you let us please participate in the economy of grace? And when Paul gives them the green light to do just that very thing, his jaw hits the floor because they don't just give what is comfortable, they end up giving what is costly. They give beyond their means. They pay a steep price because they know the difference that they're trying to make. Paul writes that, he says that they gave according to their means and beyond their means. And all of this is happening in the midst of the severe trial, the famine where everything has kind of hit the fan and stability is no longer. In that spot where we would expect, I would expect that you, you kind of button down the hatches and you, you white knuckle what you have. That's not what the Macedonians did. They didn't give conveniently. They gave very costly. And what's strange is that I've seen many people in situations of scarcity do the exact same thing. In fact, we know statistically speaking that people of lower income status give more proportionately than people of higher income status. There's an empathy embedded inside of that. There's a lot of different reasons. We can't all explore it tonight, but I've seen personally people who have gone through dark moments be this incredible light for others. How is that possible? What is it that makes that possible? What Paul says is alluding to here, and he says elsewhere, is that only when we are actually able to be in that place of scarcity can we get over our illusions of sufficiency. And only we can we, when we can get past our illusions of sufficiency can we actually recognize and accept God's supply. When you can't make ends meet and somehow ends are still being met. When you come to terms with the truth that what you have has very little to do with what you produce, but has much to do with what God has provided. When you see that truth, without capitalism costuming it up and making you see something else, you realize that what you have, your resources, your money, it isn't what you are entitled to, it's what you've been entrusted with. It isn't what you are entitled to, it's what you've been entrusted with. And if you get that in good seasons or bad, in scarcity or supply, you will beg for a chance to give because you know that it was never yours to keep in the first place. For the Macedonian church and for many others, giving isn't this sense of obligation, it's a sense of opportunity. If God's been so good and I've been entrusted with all that God has, what, what's my part to play? 
Do I just tweet about, scream about, cry about the darkness in the world, or do I actually do something to make a dent in it? Paul is asking the Corinthian church this question. Paul is pointing out how these people were all pleading to sacrifice something so that he convict them who have so passively settled. And he says this to them, that's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You guys, you do so well in so many things. I mean, you trust God, you're articulate, you're insightful, you're passionate, you love us, but don't skimp here. Do your best in this too. I mean, I'm not trying to order you around against your will, I'm not trying to twist your arm, but by bringing in the Macedonians' enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring the very best out of you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ, rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. And so here's what I think. The best thing that you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up, so do it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. But the heart, that's what regulates the hands. It's such an interesting text. Because it's, it's not condescending. Paul's not getting up on his high horse and wagging a finger here. He is speaking to the Corinthians eye to eye, brother to sister. And he is saying to them, I know that you're good people. You're good people. I know that your desires for a better world are deep. I know that your insights are very impressive. I see the retweets. You're doing well. I get it. I know that you're good people. I know that you love your small group. I know that you love the church that you found a family inside of. I love the sound of singing when you worship. But at some point, I need you to move past the bark and into the bite. At some point, it's got to leave disembodied concepts and move into incarnational activity. Paul says, don't let your good intentions keep you from getting good things done because good intentions won't ever be enough. And we know that, right? I mean, good intentions won't bring about racial equity in our city. Good intentions won't do anything about affordable housing in our city. Good intentions won't do anything about keeping inclusive churches alive and thriving. Good intentions just won't nearly go far enough. It's almost as if you can hear Paul, because he's got some frustration behind all this kindness here. You can hear him talking to the Corinthians, and it's almost as if he's trying to say, before anybody shouts out one more time that my heart goes out to those who are struggling in Jerusalem, please hear me. I do not need your thoughts nor your prayers. I do not need your heart. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help right now. I don't need you to give your heart to us. I need you to remind your hands about what's in your heart already. The heart regulates the hands. And so I need your wallets to confirm what your mouths always affirm. And then Paul says, if you, if you need more than me explaining that to you, well, then let me remind you of who is the one who started this whole thing in the first place. You serve Christ the King, and that is a Christ who paid a high cost. 
Though he was rich, he considered equality with God not something to be grasped, claimed, white-knuckled. He emptied himself for the empowerment and expansion of the world. That's what love does. Love always looks like a loss. Love always looks like it's a losing because love is always an emptying for the empowerment of another. Or as Greg Boyd, I think he said it to us years ago, he said, love is ascribing worth to another at a cost to oneself. I'll never forget that. The Corinthians, they were unable to do it in that moment right there. They were unable to actually muster up like the Macedonians did. They were still banking upon their own sufficiency. And so my question, I guess, for us is, are we? Because you guys need to know that I, I sing our praises as a family um, a lot. There's so many of you who are doing so many beautiful things. From the movements inside of City Hall, from... Uh, moving for racial equity and losing places of stability because of it. I mean, you are not just idealists. You're not like pursuing some utopian. You're actually putting boots on the ground and making things happen. You're loud and it's beautiful. And we got to keep that up. But are our hands humble enough to give away the gifts that have come into our lives? to the way that we hold things, our resources, our treasures, do our hands reflect our hearts? Man, you guys, I, I'll be honest with you, I've been, I've been stressed thinking about talking about this today. Um, both because I want you to hear me in the right way. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stressed for two different reasons. I'm stressed because I hate talking about money in the church. I hate it because I always feel like I'm one of those snake oil, was that, is that a thing? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Annie? Snake oil salesman. Yeah, you know. Not that you are one, but you're familiar with the, the trade. I always feel like it's always like this expensive emotional manipulation and that's gross and that's dirty and that's everything that I hate about the religious industry. And so I'm stressed to talk about money in church because I don't want you to think that right there. But I'm also stressed because we haven't talked about this nearly enough. I mean, to be honest with you, the more I read the story of scripture and the more I see it in the lives in our community, what I'm realizing is Jesus spoke more than anything else about money, not because Jesus was trying to raise cash, but because Jesus was trying to raise children. He recognized that it's only through sacrificial giving in tangible ways that you feel some loss that leads to life that we're actually formed into kingdom people. There's no cheaper shortcut way to go about this thing. And so we are called to be generous with the treasures that we receive. The grace that comes in, it has to be completed. It has to go full circle. I am not saying that it has to come here though. We are called to be givers. I do not buy into the story that all your money has to go to the church. In fact, if Lauren and I, if we were to show you our budget right now, most of it does not go to the church. It is spread out pretty thickly. In fact, most of it's not even to faith-based organizations. We just pulled our money out of a faith-based organization because they weren't inclusive enough. There are some places that we've discerned we do not, we need to actually start starving and there are other places that we need to start feeding. Where are the places in your life where you are seeing the kingdom of God breaking forth and beautiful things happening and are you investing in those places beyond liking them on Facebook by putting some cash inside of their pockets? Are you pushing the story forward? Are you collecting scars? from being in the game and getting off the sidelines. 
Because every Sunday night, you and I, we stand shoulder to shoulder and we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Please understand that if that kingdom is ever going to come, there's a cost that has to be paid. It's costly. Love is a loss. And in a world right now where, well, let me make it smaller. In America right now, in a week, where we just witnessed the, the talking head of our country turn a blind eye to an American citizen getting, butchered, citizen getting butchered in Saudi Arabia because it would cost too much money to actually stand up for what is right. Are we, the church of Jesus Christ, going to be a people that is a contrast society that serves the world by showing the world that which it is not? In a world, in a country, where the average American gives away to charities 2.7% of their income, will we tell a better story than that? Because beautiful things only happen when we do. In Hebrews, I don't have the text in front of me, but there's a text in Hebrews 11, I believe, where it says, for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. Do you have a proper vision of the joy that is set before you? The kingdom that is come that is so worth the cost. There is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Anthony, can you put that up for me, please? It's, it's, it's a ways away still. You just want to keep hitting that forward button for a moment. There it is. The tuning up of an orchestra can be itself delightful, but only those who can in some measure, however little, anticipate the symphony, the Macedonian church, they tuned their strings because they anticipated the symphony. Will we be the same way? Will the love that has gone into our lives flow out of our lives? Will you pray with me? Christ Lord, you are good, you are faithful. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to reject the lies of scarcity, the courage, Lord, to Remember, God, that it is not all about us, God, that we are here for such a short moment and we ought to put some meaning inside of it. God, in this moment, we are about to break the bread, Lord. Remind us that behind every good gift, there are bodies that are broken and blood that is poured out. That is how it works. Lord, give us the courage and the integrity to not just uh, believe in you, but also to believe you when you say that generosity is the only way forward. Lord, you are the lover and we are the loved and we are grateful for all these good gifts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We follow a generous God. We follow a Jesus that set himself aside for us. We follow a Jesus that calls us to live that kind of life. A generous life. And I love the last sentence of that scripture passage that Matt was looking at, that it's the heart that regulates the hands because I think it's true. It's true of me. So often the heart's there. And sometimes there's a disconnect from getting all the way to the hands and, and setting self aside enough to give away in a way that's beyond comfortable, that is costly. Because that's the only way that kingdom work happens. That's the only way that we link arms and together we make this world a better place. It's setting self aside.
one another and it's seeing others in the same way that God sees us. So on Sunday nights when we gather together and we share in the bread and the cup, we remember the good giver. We remember this God that was beyond what we understand of generous. A God who fully human and fully divine set self aside for us out of love. On the night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his friends and he broke bread. And after giving thanks to God above, he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. And when you drink from this cup, remember me. So that's what we do when we come forward take the bread and we dip it into the cup we get a chance to pause and examine our own hearts and how those hearts regulate our hands and together we can link arms and we can grow and continue to be transformed set self aside and help to make this world a better place so during the music we invite you to come forward and take the bread and dip it into the cup and in the middle we'll have gluten-free elements and regular bread on the sides. So please stand and together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.